0: This, leaven, 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 leaven. this is the herwaginem. Yo eating it's your benza and two outlaws on the lamb, taking the back roads through America.
1: You can't drink a coffee for this show. And now it's
2: time for Monday Madness with the Moped Outlaws, Greg and Mark.
1: Welcome Doug! Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. This, uh, we've been excited about this ever since we read about you.
0: Oh, yeah. I hope it was yeah. all terrible things that you read. It was. It was horrid. Perfect, because mm-hmm. I wrote them mostly myself. So. Oh, really? Yeah.
2: Well, Twitter's our resource for looking at people. We find that, that information on Twitter is usually very reliable.
1: Well, oh, yeah. and art, our, our producer got some really, like, sexy texts from your PR agent, so... That really oh, helped. That was also me. Yeah. I just, you know, by a different name.
0: Oh. Are you wearing green? You know, I am not. I decked out my yeah, daughter yeah. just Indeed. totally in green. And I was like, I'm just wearing blue and white
1: today because I didn't. This
2: episode's over. That's it. Yeah. We're done. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Except that it doesn't actually, that it's actually Monday. And, no, and, and,
2: and yeah, but I think by now people know. <laughs> People They've seen Oz, the great and terrible. <laughs> Your coffee cup could be thought of as green.
1: It's yeah, more of a teal. That's not Irish teal. enough. It's not? No? There's no teal Irish?
0: No. No.
1: <laughs>
0: it's green or nothing. Emerald is That's, the greenest we got to go.
1: Yeah, This doesn't qualify.
0: Yeah. Well, to me, yeah, because that, that looks like I'm highlighter sure. yellow with the glare. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah it's a glaring example of glare (laughs) just right in your face right at you all right sir wow well douglas doug which do you prefer either
0: uh i'm fine with doug but if you want to get just really really professional you can call me douglas or sir i don't know either (laughs) sir doug yeah I was going for nightly, but I don't think I would be able to carry all that metal on my body. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's too much baggage. Yeah. I mean, I had a tongue ring once. That was enough metal for me.
2: (laughs) Wait, what did you just say was enough metal? A tongue ring. Okay.
0: How'd your wife feel about that? Uh, Well, it was before we were together, uh, but now she sees pictures of it and she goes, Ew. So I think I know how she feels.
2: You really had one.
0: Yeah, I really I had a tongue ring. I also had the piercing kind of in the back of my ear that came through here.
2: Oh, wow. Did you put yeah. sticks through
0: it? Not sticks, but I did have a sewing needle through it for a couple of days. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So was that a self piercing? It was I was actually in India and I don't know why I became obsessed with this idea of piercing right here and there was a jeweler who was like, "I'll do it and I'll, you know, I'll do it as part of you buying the earring." It's like, sure. And, but then he just left the needle in and he was like, don't move it for like three days. Otherwise it's going to close up. I was like, okay. This seems sanitary. So I didn't move it.
2: Wow. All right.
0: Yeah.
2: India. That's crazy. So
0: you so, weren't a punk rocker. Getting pierced there.
2: <laughs> Where'd you get your tongue pierced?
0: Uh Just a random tattoo parlor in Los Angeles. Were you drunk? Uh, yes, I was, and it was also St. Patrick's Day. This was this was like a decade and a half ago now, I think.
2: Maybe a little wow, longer. 15 years ago. Yeah. You are rolling around in the gutter amongst the mud and the blood and the beer, and you thought, you know what I need to do? Yeah. I need to put something through my tongue.
0: Yeah, well, it wasn't the original idea.
2: What was the original idea?
0: Far worse.
2: Oh, no.
0: Yeah. We'll yeah. leave
2: that one alone.
0: Yeah, Prince A. That's exactly <laughs> it. Luckily, the guy who specialized in that wasn't there that night. So me and the one other guy who thought it was a good idea
1: lucked out. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but now your wife would have been much happier. <laughs> Maybe.
2: <laughs> who knows?
0: Yeah,
1: who knows? Because if she saw a picture of that one, she might still say, ew, ew. Okay. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, if it yeah, we'll just leave that alone. There's yeah. way too much going We're on. We're
1: off to an awesome start. <laughs> yeah. oh, I like to go. We've yeah. covered a lot of ground in the first yeah. four minutes. Right? This is a particularly good opening salvo in our story of of Douglas Weissman today. Yeah. yeah. I
0: mean I could I could add to that with uh the only other time I've been on Twitter, my handle was E equals M C Hammer.
1: All right yeah oh, well that brings up a good question which we often ask but we don't ask everyone yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, <Hammer> ready? <laughs> i mean i'm ready to put on some hammer pants m M&M m or foo fighters i gotta go with foo fighters okay thank you I gotta go with foo fighters and that's no that's no disrespect to m M&M. i mean i gotta say i was like when m M&M first came out i think i was in like sixth or seventh grade so really dating myself on that one and it was like oh the obsession and then it became it's everywhere all the time my head's going to explode and then there was like a good five years where i just didn't like anything he came out with and then it rounded back out to wow he's really matured in his music and i'm in love with all of this where foo fighters has just been like a hardcore love affair since i was i don't know
1: nine yeah so and david Guetta cloned uh, M and recently and has been using his AI voice in in uh, performance. Did you hear about this? The DJ from God, yeah. Uh, so check that out on YouTube. I'm okay. a little afraid, but I'm going to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: But so- I think
2: also M just surpassed Drake as number one sales in rap. Really? Yeah.
0: That's that's huge. I mean, because Drake was just like I mean, blew up and stayed on top for so long.
2: Right. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah, I heard people talk about it yesterday. It was a, kind of a big deal. Kind of, I think it was a big deal because, like, M sort of had everything else in regards to rap, but now he's got that. Yeah. Too.
1: Oh, yeah. So the thing they haven't done yet is team up with Dave Grohl. Like, I think the next thing is Eminem and the Foo Fighters do a thing. But yeah. That's my secret hope right now in this moment. I'm trying oh, to wait, it's not a secret anymore, and I'm trying to fathom what that would sound like. But the beauty of
0: it is I don't know, and that's why it would be so amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. It would also show depth and breadth to uh, Eminem's capacity because we know that the Foo Fighters are not going to turn out to be uh, hip-hop on any level. When yeah, but he do. played without John. Right. There's certainly this whole hybrid thing could happen that would be just wicked good. Oh, yeah. it would. Yeah. I'm just...
0: Again, I feel like I'm about to go cross-eyed. Just trying to imagine what it would be like, but I can't, and it's just imploding in different parts of my brain. <clears throat> yeah, welcome to
1: the moped tour.
2: Yeah, yeah. I kind of, I, the closest I can comprehend it is Lincoln Park, something along that line. Yeah, just some hard. Like yeah,
1: I hope it gets a, it gets a lot better than that.
2: <laughs> what? <laughs> That's it, Mark. You're off the podcast.
0: Well, I got to agree with Mark, but. I at least see like the baseline of just where that could go. There was this one band I used to love and I say that with hesitation because I can't remember their name, because this was I was like sixteen and they were not even a headliner. They were like an opening band. One of the punk bands that I loved. They were but they were they were from, I think, Detroit. But they would mix, like, you know, the lead singer had this kind of hardcore rap, but the rest of the band was just this like punk. Synth background, and it was just such an interesting relationship that I was always here for it. And their biggest song at the time was, uh,
1: nope, don't even remember it. It's I have sure. old girlfriends like that that I used to love that I don't remember their names. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's pretty much what it feels like. It's like,
0: I loved you, and this was my favorite song, but Wait a no. Minute. No, I don't even remember your voice anymore.
2: But I, I saw you in bed with my best friend, and now your music sucks.
0: Yeah, except you probably remember their name, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> good point. Yeah.
2: Where would you get into punk? Like, did you grow up loving punk?
0: I grew up loving punk. I think it was just, I had all this energy when I was a kid, and it was just this fast paced, fun, music that I could dance to and then mix that in with finally going to a show and getting thrown in the mosh pit and having someplace to release that angsty teenage energy that you don't know where it comes from or why it exists but it's there. And it just became this fun environment. But it was also because my brother was like really big into Beastie Boys. And of course, I liked the Beastie Boys, but he would tell me about those mosh pits. And I was like, that sounds awful. Like, I don't want to get punched in the face at a concert. (laughs) But then I go to these punk shows and they... They were more pop punk, so it wasn't bubble gum, but it was just more kind of that everybody's in the pit for a good time. You get pushed over. Everybody helps you up. Like I was in these massive pits where people would fall over and you just see a line of people like holding back the, this giant wave behind them just so people could get back up. And I was like, this is the type of environment I want to be in. It's harmful yet helpful.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like harm others so don't harm others yeah yeah, exactly I like that. yeah so you were at sf state right
0: uh i went to usf university of san francisco oh, okay. for my grad degree but i went to cal state northridge in los angeles for my undergrad i grew up born and raised in the san fernando valley so ah,
2: so you're a yeah. valley boy
0: valley boy if you hear me talking for long enough i'll sound like nick cage and valley girl
2: my favorite line from Valley girl is when they're going to the theater, they go something like, is this a three D? He's like, no, but your face is.
0: <laughs> He's got just iconic. I mean, he is iconic yeah, for all the yeah. reasons you want to be iconic.
2: Yeah. yeah. You know, what's I find interesting? Cause he was in so many horrible B movies and just yeah. low grade shit. And then I found out there was financial reasons he was making those choices that he had yep. some big things to pay off. But he really has come out of it kind of smelling clean, you know, like now.
0: Oh yeah. Well that oh man, the movie what was it? The uh um the stagger what was the or the oppressive way oh. to talent calendar something yeah. like that. Yeah. And it that movie was just flawless in my opinion like it is everything you want nick cage to be in two and a half hours and more and because i again growing up it was like the rock was a movie my friends and i would watch we'd go over to somebody's house we'd put it on the background we'd hang out we'd quote every major moment (laughs) but it like solidified nick cage in our lives and our hearts right to the point that my best friend who is classic in my life known him since i was three months old is a uh, nurse at Vegas County General. So like crazy stories this guy tells me. Yeah. So he comes into town and he brings this is for the holiday season, he just brings a bunch of like Nick Cage stickers to my three year old daughter and <laughs> brings a bunch of Nick Cage notebooks that are just it says stuff like I love Nick Cage or Nick Cage is my favorite on the cover. And my wife's like, oh, I need to write something down in a work meeting. I was like, well, all I got is this notebook that says, like, in glittery pink writing, Nick Cage is my favorite. And she's like, I can't do that. I was like, well, this is all I got. So you got this or you got nothing.
2: Dang. It sounds like uh, you've married someone to really balance out your punk nature.
0: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. She grounds me. Uh, Otherwise, I'd probably be living in a treehouse which still sounds cool, but for yeah, indoor plumbing.
2: But you could be hungry and unhealthy, so yeah. she's grounded up, and you're probably helping her fly a little bit outside the lines.
0: Just a little, because I'll say tree house, and then she'll be like, "Maybe we'll find one on Airbnb, as opposed to just a tree that I build a house in."
2: <laughs> How about there's a tree and a house next to it? You yeah. could go climb the tree, and dinner will be ready at six.
1: Yeah, I actually think a treehouse might make a great man cave, right? As long as you can get that leather furniture support.
0: Otherwise, it's
1: essential. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So I just have this image of like putting a lazy boy in a treehouse and just falling right down because the baseboards aren't thick enough, and that's probably the treehouse I would I would build. Yeah. Not handy.
1: I had a much more high end, like actual, like well constructed, well decorated, like tree house thing mm-hmm. with like a stairway that works. And you know, that a stairway you that works. not just like not just the ladder I, thing. Yeah. Cause I would, I would go with the ladder thing. Okay. You're like building an ADU in a tree. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly yeah. right. With 4k and surround sound yeah. and a guitar and an amplifier. I mean, essentially, eventually, you're going to just do like a little tunnel from the upstairs
0: to the treehouse. Because why even bother with stairs when you already have it connected to your house? It's like a
1: Vegas, one of those Vegas walkways. No, like, a slide, well, a zip line from the the window. There you go. Yeah, and then a habit trail slide down to the pool, and yep. a breakable
2: window that you go through.
1: Yeah, just like in my. My daughter's three, but is obsessed with Goonies right
0: now, which I totally condone. And just that scene where Data ziplines directly into Mikey's house and breaks the door. Who could want anything more than that?
2: can't. Okay, man. I think we have our life plan ahead of us. Yeah.
0: There's time. There's time.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. That's right. (laughs) So what's one of the best punk shows you ever went to?
0: Oh, man. I would say my very first Warp Tour was... Definitely one of the best. I mean, I went to the Warped Tour for practically a decade. Every year, without fail, I would go. Because it had the lineup of most of my favorite bands. And you know what? I lied. It wasn't the Warped Tour. Because there was, a, I think it was called the Save Johnny Show. Save Johnny, Save Jimmy. It was, I think, the, the trombonist of Save Ferris. We would We Love Save Ferris. The trombonist had cancer or some sort of disease. And so they put on this show with all of my favorite bands. Goldfinger was there. Real Big Fish was there. Uh, Less Than Jake was there. Homegrown was there. Uh, and, like, all of these people that you don't necessarily get all lumped together was at this one-night show in Hollywood. And I, and it was my 18th birthday. Oh, wow. And it was one of those sold-out shows that nobody could get tickets to. And I had a buddy who got tickets, but he didn't have a ride because he didn't drive. But he lived an hour away. And so, like, I live in San Fernando Valley. He lived in the South Bay. So going is is like a snail crawl in rush hour traffic. And I had to go pick him up, then drive back to Hollywood, which was only like 20 minutes away from my house. So we could go to this concert, then drive him back. But at least at that point, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, so there's no traffic. Then drive back to my house. So I didn't get home to like 3 or 4 in the morning on my 18th birthday my dad's like you know you still have a curfew but just because you're 18 i was like yeah but the show like totally worth it totally worth it i mean i was getting thrown out of the pit i was diving onto people it was i mean all the iconic figures of my youth which i was still youthful i was 18 but just in one place at one time that like just forged my music sensibilities at that time I was i couldn't have it any better
1: that's awesome yeah, yeah my late forties I had a chance to um have some Jaeger shots with um <clears throat> oh now their name escapes me. I know that feeling oh dear Molly. Molly. Huh. that'slogging <laughs> <laughs> Molly that was it
0: oh my goodness, really
1: yeah, oh, that must have been incredible, yeah they were doing a show with pepper with really with pepper, yeah. I feel like that's such a surprising there mix. It was the Jägermeister tour, in fact. Oh, well, that makes sense. Wait. <laughs> that, also explain, that also
0: explains why they were together, because Jägermeister bringing Pepper and Flogging Molly together. Oh, and a perfect St. Paddy's Day reference with Flogging uh,
1: Molly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I misremembered it. It was Pennywise. Uh. Instead of Pepper or instead of Flogging Molly? Instead of Flogging Molly. But I did yeah. get to see Flogging okay. Molly on a Pepper tour, but I didn't do Jägermeister shots with him but here right. here's this here's the Lammy for the from the Jägermeister tour with Pennywise oh,
0: that's awesome Pennywise. I, still, I would have done Jaeger shots with Pennywise,
1: and yeah, fuck yeah. yeah that's why I don't remember
2: it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was the band. we were doing Jaeger shots, it was fun. it yeah.
1: was somebody who played music, might have been my guitar teacher,
0: but
2: we did yeah.
1: Jager shots together, right yeah I think we we got a budding story going here like we could just kind of keep going, making it up. Yeah. Why not? I History mean, of rock that didn't happen, but let's bring Nick cage back into the story and I'm sure it'll get that much better. Bye. Okay. Nick has a sick granddaughter who he, he has to find some way to save her and she needs a special treatment. So he's trying to make money. And so he is, becomes a rock promoter. And he doesn't want anyone to know who he really is. So he's promoting these shows, but he's being disguised because he doesn't want it to be about him. He wants it to be about his his granddaughter. And so he goes and he gets all his favorite bands and he gets Jägermeister to sponsor it. But he's sober and everybody the whole night is trying to get him to do a shot with him. And eventually there's this uh, YouTube thing that happens where people are bidding money. If he'll just take a shot, he'll Mm -hmm. get like... You know, a million dollars that's gone into this pot. And so he takes a shot, and then everything falls apart because he totally loses his sobriety. He goes off the deep end and he starts snorting speed. Next thing you know, he's like <laughs> robbing a bank with Emilio Estevez, who he's like, Where the fuck have you been? <laughs> yeah.
0: He was actually in one of the bands, hiding out as one of the band members in the background. Yeah. I oh. And then not only do you get Nick Cage obviously screaming at one point, Nick fucking Cage. (laughs) But you also have Emilio Estevez with somebody screaming in the background,
1: Emilio. Keanu Reeves is trying to get in the stage door and no one will let him in. They're like, nah, fuck you, Keanu. Get the hell out of here. This topic
2: topic has come up with Mark and I before, but Mm. now we got punk and now we got Emilio. So did you ever um, see the movie, um,
0: God, Repo Man, Repo Man. Oh, of course. Okay, <laughs>
2: all right, we can continue.
0: <laughs> yeah, with the, that was going to be the cutoff for me. Like that oh was yeah. it. Yeah.
2: yeah, the wearing green will let slide, but yeah. you haven't seen <laughs> Repo Man. You're yeah. out of here. <laughs> <laughs> we were trying to remember because all the repo dudes were named after beer, and we were trying to remember all their names, and we like yeah, oh, was I, there was Bud.
0: Yeah, it goes out the window for me. I mean, usually because it's like at that point of seeing the movie similar to the to the Jägermeister story. It's like, are you ever really in the right state of mind when you watch that
2: movie
0: (laughs) (laughs) on purpose? (sighs) Yeah, So speaking
2: of movies. You say you're a screenplay
0: writer. I say it, but do I mean it?
1: That's what I'm wondering.
0: Yeah, no, I mean it. I mean it. Uh, I work
1: on your Tinder profile.
0: Yeah well, I put does it on my wife profile? know you have a Tinder profile. <laughs> this way, everybody knows whatever happens on Tinder, I'm putting in to a screenplay. <laughs> right. that's, that's where I'm with everything. It's like That's
2: the release form right there. If you yeah. swiped right, you've given permission.
0: Yep. Everything that happens from now on might not be recorded in audio, but it's coming out here onto the like screen it. somewhere.
2: I like it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean I spent a lot of years doing like really boring like corporate brand stories, which I mean they're fun in a lot of ways, but that's just where it was and you see a lot of this uh, uh so much of it is like we want to do something interesting and new and then you give it to them and like, Yeah, that's amazing. But what if we pulled it back, do the same exact thing that we always do? Because that's where we're comfortable. Yeah, sure. We can do that. Whatever. Uh, But that's every time that's what happened. But my buddy who had (laughs) had his company that I worked for, we went to see the show called Pulp Shakespeare. And some guy had taken Pulp Fiction and turned it Shakespearean. So it was all Shakespearean language. And, oh, man, the guy did such a great Christopher Walken impression, too, and comes out in, like, the Venetian death mask. Um, you know, and he's, and then it takes it off and he's like, whoa.
1: <laughs> and I was like, oh my God.
0: But it was just such a great, it was such a great thing. But before we actually watched the show, we were having dinner and we talked about how bad Indiana Jones 4 was, as so many people do. It's a great topic conversation. Be careful. He,
2: Mark likes it.
0: <laughs> All right. I won't get in, I won't get into the logistics here, but what happened? <laughs> the refrigerator
2: killed it for me.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it gave birth to nuking the fridge, which you gotta you gotta respect at least that it was good enough to give that line to the world. But my friend was talking about how all these big name directors and writers had stepped up to want to be part of it. Like Kevin Smith was, you know, offered and a, a bunch of other people. But I thought my friend had talked about Quentin Tarantino, and I was like, oh my god, Quentin Tarantino doing. An Indiana Jones movie and I misheard completely but it made me go home and I was like I'm going to write what it would look like if Quentin Tarantino wrote an Indiana Jones movie awesome. and we did it and we had him and I he loved it I just did like the first five minutes kind of in that way that Tarantino has these amazing cold openings right and it was modeled after it was like Indiana Jones meets uh inglorious bastards like that just that part at the beginning Uh, and I was just all for it and my friend loved it so we're like oh what if we did a whole bunch of shorts that were just matching up really random directors like iconic directors and iconic movie types so it was like Martin Scorsese doing Back to the Future and so I wrote this short that was basically Biff's Casino right so it was like Casino but with Biff and we were thinking about something like Alfred Hitchcock doing like a kids movie you know alfred hitchcock does pinocchio or something like that it was just all these really we had a list of them but it turned out we weren't allowed to do it because they were not considered parodies so we would have got hit with copyright law because we were doing like homages instead of instead of trying to make it humorous who told you that
1: a copyright lawyer yeah he was full of shit he just didn't want to litigate (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. yeah those would have those would have totally flied if star right. wars the porno of star wars could make it through then that i don't would know happen. well they might have paid they might have paid for that like i
0: knew a guy in australia who would pay <laughs> rights to lucas he's a comedian pay rights to Lucasfilm just because he did this sketch that was christmas carols to star wars music oh that's awesome and so I mean it was a great bit and it was really funny, but just in case he wanted to use it in any of his routines, he had to pay royalties for like the entire. I guarantee year.
1: you Star Wars did not pay any royalties.
0: Really? I don't know. The the makeup looked really on point. I don't, know. I'm, just I don't know.
1: <laughs> I'm just gonna say it right now, Douglas, the force is strong with you. Thank
0: you. And by force you mean penis.
1: That's i don 't know nuts. about that,
0: I think well, you might you, you missed a, a,
1: an, a, your Jedi training with your Prince Albert. <laughs> you know you missed yeah, that So you had that chance. You could have gone to the dark side early I should well, they have cookies, so i 'm always for the dark side, yeah,, yeah.
2: the dark side. The dark side has cookies.
1: So I really, I was sad that you didn't make those movies. Like when you told those stories, I was like, oh my God, that's like a whole TV series. Like I would love to see that. Like even shorts on Netflix or like, and I would love to see that. Well, I'm still up for it. I still have the slew of scripts, but I also took
0: that one Indiana Jones one and so the first one basically and i turned it into a full feature that was like all right well if i take it away from indiana jones and make it its own thing with its own characters and like still shopping that around and then i was like all right well i also i'm a novelist and i do novels before screenplays like i've written uh, i published eight novels with a ninth one coming out next year so i was like all right well ip is huge right most studios would rather buy ip than buy a screenplay so i'm like all right well i'll just turn it into a novel so i turn it into a novel and i'm like all right well now i can sell it to somebody else as a novel and then sell it sell the ip so hopefully in the next five years you're going to see it in one form or another what's an ip <laughs> intellectual property okay yeah, so like just like Hunger Games or right right whatever, right right yeah, whatever new one is out. I, I don't. Hunger Games really so What's is
1: the old. distinction between a book and a screenplay that makes the book more IP-ish than the screenplay? Basically
0: with a book, they just know that there's already a following. Right, so they don't have to invest money in a screenplay from a no-name writer that might not go anywhere because they don't want to have to do anything new and creative. And then, but if have- fifty
1: thousand or one hundred and fifty thousand books sold, then they think, well, yeah. there's at least somebody will see it. Exactly, at least fifty thousand people will see this movie. Got it. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's
0: the idea. I don't know if it's true or not, but that's that's the thought process. Wow.
2: Have you been able to create? A career to support your family from your writing?
0: Yes, but not in the way you might think. So it's not actually my creative writing. Uh, <laughs> I'm writing while I'm selling crack on the corner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I write really good ad copy for meth. But then you realize <laughs> okay. that you don't need ad copy for meth because people are going to buy the meth regardless. But no, um, I actually, I'm a travel writer during the day and travel writing is where I make my my bread and butter. And that's where I've been able to build my career, my stability, and, you know, health insurance. The fun stuff that we love to talk about daily. Uh, But... It's, it's always a surprise to me when, like, the thing that everybody kind of wants to do, travel writing, is a thing that I get to do daily and all the other stuff. It's like, oh, you write novels and you write these things. That sounds fun. What about travel writing? What, tell us more about that.
1: <laughs> um, so are writing. you contracted by some sort of publication to do those? Or do you, are you freelance and you have to be picked up by whomever is interested in the particular location you're going to?
0: I started out freelance. So I did freelance for four years, uh, but mostly I was working with one company and the content that they wanted. So then I was like, all right, well, I've been doing this. You're my biggest client. I have most things with you. I know what you need. We work really well together. So then they brought me on board full time in 2017 and I've been able to, so I still do kind of the random freelance work, travel essays. And if I go someplace, assignment it's really easy for me to then pitter out a bunch of different essays and query them to to a lot of different publications but mainly things go just with this one company and i've been doing so well with them that like you know i would say 90 percent of what's on their website i've touched in some way if not actually writing being part of the team to create all right where is it going why are we creating it what's the next thing that we have to do so it's been fun. I mean, it's been very different okay. and a lot of fun. Yeah, sounds yeah, very exciting. Uh, I'm so my wife and I went on a trip to Egypt last September, and uh, we're going with my daughter this September October. We're going to do France and Portugal, and it's going to be our first big one with our daughter. Who you know, she's going to be four at that point. Still, it's going to be new and exciting. We went to Hawaii with her, but that didn't count as. Uh, this company only works internationally. So the Hawaii thing was just our first big family trip together, which was very exciting. She loved the, the airplane by she, my daughter, not my wife, my daughter <laughs> loved the airplanes. Uh, we found this like hidden pool that was suggested to us where a bunch of sea turtles just were. My daughter's like oh, wow. sitting there playing in the sand in the shallow water and something's moving maybe two feet next to her. And she's like, Oh, wow. Turtle. And then goes back where I'm like, it's a turtle. It's a fucking turtle. It's amazing. I'm like, you know, two-year-old. Well, whatever. I have sand in my pants. This is great. <laughs> That's awesome. Sand in my, my pants pant might be the next travel novel.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know what you both just said, but it sounded awesome.
1: <laughs> oh my God. We're having too much fun. We can't, we can't contain it. I said sand in my pants might be the title for your next novel. I don't know yeah, what you said. That was going to be
0: the title for my punk, my punk CD or album. The CD <laughs> do not exist stand anymore. Band in my pants.
2: <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So whew, we did exactly what you said. Everyone wants to do. We delved into your travel writing. Let's see these screenplays and novels. That's nice, Doug. But uh, what about that travel
0: writing? Huh? Yeah. Well, it's the same thing. I used to do restaurant reviews for a little bit, and it was like. Uh, But it was, it was like half restaurant review, half hidden shopper, right? Like those things go together. Uh, And then when I tell people I was doing that, like, can I, can I do that too? Like, I don't even have to leave my area. Now I just get to go to a bar and drink the drinks and get paid for it. It's like, well, yeah, I don't know if you can do it. Like, let's, let's ask somebody else. Do you know how to write a sentence? Sure. I can write Facebook sentences and Twitter sentences. These are so different than writing like a, I don't know, luring sentence. Something that goes into print that actually gets people to either go or not go to a place. Uh, and turned out not everybody could write those sentences,
1: hmm. but they could drink
0: the drinks.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Maybe they might have been them. why they can't write the sentences exactly. That's exactly why.
0: It's like, try to write the sentences long after you drank the drinks, not right after you drank the drinks.
2: This is fucking great.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Best fucking drink ever. Like, yeah, that goes on Yelp. That doesn't go in the publication that you need to, which is fine. Yelp's fine. Just not the thing that you need to do.
1: So I want to ask you a question. I've been looking for a drink that has butterscotch schnapps, besides just butterscotch schnapps. Like, what drink would you invent... That has butterscotch schnapps as one of its agree- uh, ingredients. Okay. I would start with not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh,
0: okay. Was, I'll, I'll, I'll go read.
1: now. <laughs>
0: uh, here's the thing. I, w- I was a bartender for a little bit. But I wasn't a good bartender. So when it comes to drinking the drinks, I'm fine. When it comes to inventing the
1: drinks, you do not want to ask me. Well, clearly no one's ever invented one, probably for a good reason. <laughs> probably yeah. Probably for a good I mean, you could probably get
0: something that's gonna be called like a butter cookie, and it's gonna have butterscotch schnapps and maybe vodka and, <laughs> and yeah, and exactly, and milk, and you're gonna get milk and cookies in a drink. I was in I was in Berlin with my best friend, the guy who works in Vegas. This was years ago, and we were in a tiny bar that was called – I don't know if it was called this, but we called it the Hasselhoff Bar because there was a shrine to David Hasselhoff in the bar. And, like, they knew it. It was kitschy. Like, that was the whole point. They got it. It wasn't – it was tongue-in-cheek. But still, we asked them. We were like, all right, you have to have a drink that's dedicated to David Hasselhoff. They're like, oh, no, we don't. It's like, what do you, you have a shrine. There has to be a drink to David Hasselhoff. And so we made them invent one. We're like, okay, blue for Baywatch, black for Night Rider, and then red for Dodgeball because Dodgeball had come out recently. And we we're like, best, you know, best uh, cameo ever. It has to has to be seen in this drink. So they made us a drink that, of course, looked nothing like blue, black, or red. It just came out brown color because all the stuff they were putting into it. And we took the shot, and it was terrible. We have shots of us like. You know, pondering, looking, praying to David Hasselhoff, and then that's the before and then the after. We're both like hugging our stomachs, yeah, basically heaving onto the floor. It's good times.:
1: okay. uh, I once took a hit off a joint through a jalapeno. How was your nose? <laughs> it was awful. It was horrible.
0: <laughs> that sounds
1: that sounds like you were really desperate. Right. No, I was just really stoned when I thought of it. I was like, let's hollow out a jalapeno and make a cigarette holder." I did that once. That was, yeah. that was it was stupid. And then you also had the oil
0: on your fingers and touched your eye while you're high. No, but the next doobie I rolled, I was like,
1: why does this one hurt too? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that would do it. That part I made up just because I knew it would make us laugh. That's good. But don't, we don't tell us that.
0: We still have the Nick Cage story ringing in our ears from earlier. Yeah,
1: we on
2: Oz. Yeah,
0: which, uh, yeah. which by the way, just on the topic of Nick Cage, just for a second, my friend in Vegas, after the whole Nick Cage notebooks and things, there's a cop, because he works in county, so there's a cop who brought in a suspect, and somehow they got on the topic of Nick Cage. I think my friend was wearing a Nick Cage sticker, just for fun. And the cop was like, oh, yeah, uh, I, you want to hear a Nick Cage story? <laughs> always, always. <laughs> and when you hear a cop, Ask if you want to hear a Nick Cage story in Vegas. Like, would you would you say no? No.
2: That's no. a yes. That's a hard say yes. yes. Yeah. You have
0: to say yes. Yeah. So apparently they were called into one of the fancier one of the fancier hotels. It was like Bellagio or Cosmo or something, Cosmopolitan. And they were in a basement. They basically, he was drunk and causing a ruckus, but because he's a celebrity, they wanted to kind of get him off the floor. And this is the most. It's like the ultimate Nick Cage thing. Like you hear Nick Cage drunk, they lead him into a, like a dungeon area, essentially, and then while he's down there, he's just like, "Do you know who you're dealing with? I'm Nick fucking Cage. Nick fucking Cage." And he just like kept screaming his name, Nick Cage, and <laughs> and so my friend tells me, and we both say the same thing. We're just like, "That is the most Nick Cage story you will ever
1: hear." Yeah. So I don't care if it's true or not. I want it to be true. So I, I think just,
2: it's gotta be.
1: Yeah. You could backwrite the story, the three hours prior to that happening. You could just like, right. you could have such fun. Well,
0: that's the thing. It kind of you, it's like when you start the movie, it's him in the cellar with the cops screaming, I'm Nick cage. And then you like three hours, three
1: early, hours earlier. Yeah. You subtext. lead in. <laughs> uh, have you seen that new do, Western? Have that subtext come up and then not show anything about Nick Cage for like the next hour and a half, like just totally mess with the yeah. like what That's like the the ultimate tension. It's actually Hangover Four, <laughs> is what you're showing. Yeah. yeah, and he ends up having some kind of affair with the guy who got mauled by the tiger.
2: Yeah, the Hangover movies. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't get that
0: whole thing. Oh, would you get it if Nick Cage was in it?
2: Probably not, because like Mike Tyson was in it, and I liked his part. <laughs> I think like by the third one, the guy walking out with breasts, I was just like, because I didn't even really watch it. I just, I don't know, I saw the ending, or whatever part that's in. I was like, of course, yeah, right.
1: <laughs> Somehow I knew at the beginning of the broadcast, before we went on the air, when I made that comment, that some guy being in, with breasts would come up during the show.
2: Well, there yeah. you go.
0: It it's
1: all circular. It all comes around. Unfortunately, everybody hearing now didn't hear that one part before, right? Then it'd be a good callback. But it, now they're just wondering, yeah. like that. But that's cool because I like that. There's a little air of mystery about Moped Outlaws. Like people don't always. There's stuff happening here all the time. You think this is fun? You should see us when we're not talking to a, to a guest. <laughs> Does it get that much more rowdy? Oh, yeah.
2: You don't step on each other's lines so much.
0: Well, that's going to happen. I do that whether I'm on a call or not. So, yeah.
2: Are you able to share about um, your wife? Because I'm curious what her career is.
0: She works at the Getty Villa in Malibu. So she is much, much smarter than me. (laughs) <laughs> and, and I love it. Always teaching me something and huge into antiquity. And so she does a uh, public programs. So anytime you go to a museum and they have an activity for people that kind of brings people in, it educates them about something. But also you're able to, I don't know, draw a picture or make something with your hands. That's kind of what she does. She comes up with those things to both educate and entertain. That's going to keep you from... I don't know, touching an artifact,
1: trying to steal something. Or... Yeah, so she's more than a decent docent. Yeah. She is No,
0: I couldn't come up with a good alliteration for what she does. But you No, know, I tried, but it kind of went woo. Yeah. No, decent docent was good. Unfortunately, she is far higher than that. I was going to say superior, but in case any docents are listening, I didn't want to upset <laughs> anyone.
1: Um, are docents ever listening? They seem like they're always talking. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, I guess it's part of their job
0: <laughs> to be talking, yeah. but listening's important to understand the questions people are actually asking, as opposed to, that's a really good question. And let me tell you what I was going to say anyway. As <laughs> to, yeah, exactly.
2: Which so many relationships fall into.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure I do that with my daughter, but she calls me on it. She's she, no reservation. She's three. So she has no understanding of like well do i be polite and just ignore the fact that he didn't answer she's like uh excuse me dickhead you didn't answer my question and yes (laughs) my daughter does call me no i'm kidding my daughter does not call me that
2: i'd support her calling you dickhead
0: actually honestly i would too because i would laugh too hard we are not shy about cussing in my house so my daughter definitely like we're trying to just teach her because we know we're not going to stop cursing so we're just trying to teach her like the things you say inside the house versus outside the house
2: yeah, that's my son when he was very young found the word fuck from a neighbor and he loved it. Sure.
0: A neighbor.
2: Well, <laughs> wasn't me <laughs> anyway, but what I came to is I realized, you know, he's not going to stop. So what I need to do is just let him know that maybe if you use that word at a friend's house, you won't be invited over anymore because the parents won't like it. Your friend won't care, but the parents may. And
0: yeah. That's exactly what we're trying to teach her. Cause I mean, like we're stuck in traffic and the kids in the backseat and you know, somebody cuts us off and we're just like, you fucking ass. And then she knows, she knows it's something fun to say. Yeah. Okay. And then well, all this. Yeah.
1: And then there's the parents that hear it and they want to invite you over for a sleepover.
2: <laughs> the upside down pineapple parents.
0: <laughs> don't you, don't you just love those upside down pineapple moments?
1: <laughs> They're just heartwarming.
2: They're they they <laughs> rape for marriage.
1: It takes <laughs> five <laughs> years for a pineapple plant to actually produce fruit. So, you know, you might be waiting a long time for an upside-down pineapple. Is that what you're saying, or are you saying you better make it count? <laughs> I'm saying both. In fact, my fa- ex-father-in-law, his favorite birthday cake was upside-down pineapple cake. Or pineapple so upside-down cake. You can only have it once every five years. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's leap year, exponential leap year birthday. Yeah. Right.
0: Basically, yeah, the only ones who can enjoy it are people born on the leap year-ish. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Math isn't my thing, so I'll give you five years on a leap year.
2: Sure, why not?
0: <laughs> Maybe a lunar calendar. Every five know. years you get a hall pass. Yeah, there you go. Upside down pineapple, then turn it into a cake. Then you read about on the Internet what Upside Down Pineapple Cake really is.
1: <laughs> I'll be re- Googling it as soon as we're done.
2: <laughs> so, What part of L.A. do you and your family live in? You don't have to give the street and home address. but
0: Oh, because I was, I was going to give my exact address and let everybody That'd, know that if you want to
2: social start, security number.
0: <laughs> if you want to start leaving dollar bills in my mailbox, okay. that's totally fine. Uh so I live in a suburb that's just north of the San Fernando Valley right now and it so it's I'm like 10 minutes away from the house I grew up in wow. my wife's 10 minutes from the house that she grew up in my they live her aunts and my parents live very close together so
2: Is that how you guys met?
0: We went to high school together. Oh wow. Yeah, but we didn't date in high school and we we friendly, like we were acquaintances in high school. And then I was traveling, I was backpacking in sub-Saharan Africa and she messaged me and she's like, Oh, that looks amazing. I always wanted to go like, what do you recommend? And then we just kept kind of pen palling. And when I came back, I came back to LA and she came back after living in Albuquerque for a few years, going to college and whatnot. So, and we just got together and kept getting together. Very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. It's it's a nice story. Definitely yeah. definitely strays away from the the upside down pineapple or the Nick Cage parts of the conversation. <laughs>
2: yeah, and punk rock and
0: <laughs> Oh no, it was very punk rock.
2: Oh, okay, good.
0: Yeah. It was a punk <laughs> she, rock love story.
2: Is she into punk?
0: Certain bands. Not necessarily the same bands, but there's overlap there. Okay actually when she was pregnant she had a really hard pregnancy like i mean just the type of like throwing up every day the type uh, of being completely like uncomfortable kind of hardly able to leave the bed she wasn't bedridden but it was just really difficult and my friend had just broken up with his girlfriend and they had tickets to go to this concert in Huntington Beach that was uh, it was a uh, blink-182 Blink was headlining and it was another one of those shows from kind of like this this one recent show in vegas was like back to youth or something or something with youth in the title that had all like all those bands that were big in the early 2000s late 90s and stuff so it was similar to that so it was like blink 182 headlining real big fish was there save ferris was there it's like i can't pass this up but so i go it's me a couple friends she's obviously not gonna come and it was but it was the first time i was away from her like, all day while pregnant and then of course it's like we leave at like eight in the morning to get down to Huntington beach. It's like an hour and a half in traffic. We're there all day. It ends at like 10 30. I'm be- I've been in the pit all day. There are bands that she actually would have liked to see, but now she's just kind of bitter. They're like, well, I would have liked to go. You hold this for a little while and I'm going to go to the concert by this. I mean the pregnancy. Right. But, uh, and then, so I get back and my friends are like, Oh, it's, you know, let's get in and out. It's only, it's like 11 o'clock. We haven't eaten all day. And I am like. I think I need to get back to my wife now. And it was like a week later she was in labor. So we really wow. So it was like, oh, maybe maybe we cut that one close cuz there might have been some some of those might not have been so uh false alarmy.
1: Right, right. It could have got interesting. <laughs> I would have called her and asked her whether she wanted a double double or not.
0: Oh, I did. And it was like, "Maybe you need to come home cuz I think I'm in labor. Mm. Uh, also get me a double double."
1: You know. Just- <laughs>
2: Lots of pickles. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So um, I'm wondering on your site, or maybe it was the profile, whatever, you said something about creating, like making the grotesque beautiful. Yeah. It is on my site. Yeah. So what's a real-world example of that?
0: Uh, A real-world example of that would be, my latest book, Life Between Seconds, it came out last November. And this is my shameless plug. So I'm pitching it out. Everybody listening, Life Between Seconds, go look it up. But is it on Amazon? It is on Amazon. Okay. It absolutely is. Uh, but the big thing about that is it's one of the main characters, her daughter. She's from Argentina. Her daughter's disappeared in the Dirty War, which is started in the 1970s. About 30,000 people estimated to have disappeared by the government considered dissidents, considered rebels, whatever. And I mean, it's a grotesque situation. And even making more grotesque, the fact that they would drug people and throw them out over the ocean. And that's how they would get rid of them because it was cheaper than shooting them. And, and these types, and then they could also, it was also easier than burying the bodies. And I mean, it's hugely grotesque, but I was able to spin it into this beautiful story of loss and trauma and family dynamics and closure and found family and looking for that concept of like when you have this traumatic experience, do you really want closure from it? Or will you let it define you for the rest of your life? And it's those are the things that are looking at. It's not like trying to make somebody gouging out your eyeball with their thumb suddenly have butterflies in it but it's more about trying to find those grotesque moments in life that you can actually create beauty from it kind of what is like even the prettiest flowers grow in shit.
2: Right. Yeah. So do you have a, one of those incidents in your own life?
0: There's a lot of, Different types of trauma in my family. My mom had cancer when I was 12. She's great now, but it was there was a lot of touch and go. There was a lot of just especially in the formative years of your life, not really understanding how to approach these things. On top of that, there's a lot of intergenerational trauma. I'm Jewish, grew up in the Jewish community, very prevalent, lots of family, friends of family, you know, connected, impacted by the Holocaust. And this is at a time when when survivors were still around sharing their stories often as opposed to now where you're lucky if you get someone who is willing to share at an age that they remember. Uh, One of my grandparents' closest friends was willing to talk to me about her experience. She hid in a barn in Holland and the family took her in and pretended they were her daughter. Like these just incredible experiences that both make you weep and smile sometimes at the same time. But you hear about these things and you can't escape them. And you know that it's your culture and you know that it's, part of who you are. You also know that it's a shared experience because that could happen to me just because of my religion or just and at the same time, at the same time, literally in that time of my life, the place that I went to preschool is called the North Valley Jewish Community Center. A guy walked in with a gun and this is a preschool. It's children, children between the ages of newborns to four years old, walks in with a gun and just starts shooting people. It happened a mile and a half away from my home. It's the place that I went to preschool. I went to summer camp there, and I was watching it unfold. My sister's friend was shot. The secretary, who I grew up with, stood at the front desk, was shot. They all came out okay, thank goodness. There were no fatalities, but like, this is the world that I was living in and that I understood and that I saw, and it was terrifying, so it 100% impacted the way that I view stories, that I tell stories and that I grow from stories, but it also impacts the reason why I want to share stories.
2: So that experience that you're just sharing, where's the beauty you have found in that real world story?
0: That one, I feel like it's harder just because it's so much closer to home where these other ones, I was able to weave this beautiful tale kind of imaginary. It's somewhat part of my life where this one is, it's like, have I even faced it kind of thing? But at the same time, my my sister's friend has grown up and become like a giant gun advocate and she's and she's fine and healthy. Um
2: Wait, you, know, you said a gun advocate?
0: I mean, excuse me. <laughs> gun control advocate. Which say what you want about guns, you know, one way or another. I'm not here to tell you what you should or shouldn't believe it, but just like she found a passion about a thing that she was able to drive forward towards because of the experience she had in her life. And she uh, has been to the White House to speak about gun control. And, and then also it brought my community closer together. I mean, in a way, it, it rippled out with these horrible effects where – The synagogue that I go to, all of a sudden there are security guards around. They build fences around. It used to be this open campus, fences around it. And like all of the synagogues in the San Fernando area, you now saw all these fences going up. But at the same time, the community came closer together. You know, you you knew who was there for you. You knew why they were there. You didn't really look at people with, I don't want to say disdain, but with some sort of questioning that might've been there before. Like, why are you here? Do you really belong here now? became more of like a, yes, welcome. We're all here to support each other and then become stronger for it. And I think that's really where the beauty came out of that. Cause it's such a, obviously such a horrible experience that we've seen over and over again, especially, you know, this happened in 99 and it was such a shock where now it's like you hear about three of them in a week.
1: Yeah. One of the things that strikes me about this <laughs> I felt a immediate tragedy when you described how the walls were built around the synagogue, when a previously open place, because my experience of the people of Jewish Jewish culture is that there's a lot of creativity, a lot of openness, a lot of humor, a lot of what I would call open thinking, and I had this feeling like even though I'm German and I'm not Jewish that without that, I could literally probably walk into the synagogue and someone would joyfully show me the Torah and explain to me why it's significant and what the messages of love are that are in there. And so that, that to me, the closing down of that is just such a tragic thing because, I mean, of course the shootings are tragic and the the thousands of years of persecution of Jewish people, that's horrible. But there's this, Cultural reality that's been a part of my experience, which is that there's so much openness in this culture and so much creativity and so much curiosity about the way the world is. I don't experience Jewish people as dogmatic and fixed. I experience them as incredibly brilliant and creative and looking for the the beauty in the world. And I think that's one of the deeper tragedies about our situation is that Jewish people are forced now to create these bunkers in their, in their cultural community centers. And, and when I see them in San Francisco, it always shocks me like, Oh yeah. And that's a kind of privilege that I have, you know, as a, another layer of white privilege. is that because I'm not Jewish. I don't have to worry about this sort of stuff.
2: I, for one would support us being brave and not putting up the barriers because of one, because in essence, we're putting up a barrier to the entire community, hundreds, thousands of people, when really only one came in and fucked it up. And, um, yeah, I was even thinking of a White House, how since the insurrection, it's.
1: Thursday. Yeah, more and more in our culture, this idea of, you know, c- putting up the barricades and, yeah. and and safety. And it's really costing us a lot because yeah. the promise of America was this idea of us all experiencing this broad spectrum of who we are and this openness and freedom to be. And then in that, what could percolate up? What could happen? And we've got some great examples of it. I mean, Nick Cage just being one of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nick Cage the perfect is the perfect bridge between worlds and if you don't have nick cage you don't have the power to come together
2: what was that rely on bob marley what was the movie he was in um with the whole oz thing uh, the convertible he thought it was one of his earlier ones this oh maybe it was a who's the um director who did twin peaks and
0: uh oh yeah um
2: i think it was one of his movies
0: why the name that's on the tip of my tongue is not the right person.
2: That's the same here. I want to say David Cronenberg, and that's not who it is.
0: It's, but it's ah. it,
2: David, Dave, it's, the meditation guy. Come on, Mark. Yeah. Help Gosh,
0: it's it. it's going to kill me. It's going to kill me.
2: I'm, I'm Googling. But, I can't take it. Yeah, it's okay.
0: We know if you didn't call attention to it, nobody would have noticed that you um, were Googling.
1: Oh, but we call it's each other out link. on it all the time on this show. It's they part change. of the fun. Oh, is that
0: part of it? like, you're yeah. Googling again. Shame, yeah. shame.
1: You know, uh, I, I'm just going to have to find out what Well, this, while he's finding out, I'll just say that I'm advantage. super happy that none of the questions that I asked ChatGPT to generate for me today have been used. Good. Yeah, there you go. It's funny. I was
0: actually, I'm, I'm really active on LinkedIn, and somebody put on chat, or somebody put on LinkedIn today, this guy that I follow was like, uh, you know, It happens every once in a while. I would say, like, once a week, somebody, because especially for writers or content creators, uh, somebody will just write something like, write for humans, something just that stupid and simple, but it's effective, right? The guy writes it, and somebody was like, Did Chat GPT write that? And he was like, It took me five seconds to write that. It would take Chat GPT 15 minutes for me to put in the prompts that would then generate that one thing. Uh, And so I commented basically along those lines with a very simple like thank you for projecting this out to 73,000 of your followers as opposed to me who would just call my mom and say it to her and then she'd be like is your job in trouble again and I was like that's a very specific example it's not it's not mine i swear it's somebody
2: and i got the what? movie wild at heart
1: oh yeah <laughs> and what's the director's name david lynch lynch that's right
2: yeah and wild david. at heart Rick cage and laura dern
1: yeah
0: that's that's how you. That's a winning combination.
1: Fuck yeah. I think that's a double feature with Repo Man. Wow, that'd be great. You know, oh, yeah. at a drive-in. That's what. It should be. <laughs> Ooh. Are there any left in LA? Well, because of the pandemic,
0: it became such a huge thing that these you know all the malls that you can't actually shop in started having drive-ins, and they got really good at shipping people in and shipping people out really quick. So for my wife's birthday, she is an obsessed person when it comes to Poltergeist, that we live like 10 minutes away from the house that they filmed it at.
2: Which, and, which one? The original? The
0: original. The original. Okay. And so, like, every once in a while, she'll come home with a smile, and I'll be like, you're by the house again, didn't you? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> Playing the creepy music. So, we did a drive-in. Pol- we did the drive-in for Poltergeist, and she was just, you know, had the food. We had, like, hot dogs and popcorn watching the movie. It was cool, too, because, you know, you no longer have to clip in that weird thing into your car and right and have that weird quality buzzing in and out because it was just everything was it was like oh you know put your radio to whatever dial Mm -hmm. station and you just have the tickets on your phone and it was just quality experience
1: wow that's awesome so make out or no make out
0: can't make out during poltergeist because it's her favorite she never would have let me live it down yeah yeah. yeah. If it was like Repo Man, she totally would have been fine. But <laughs> but on the flip side, if it was The Rock, I also would have been like, No, <laughs> we're watching The Rock. You okay. want to sit here and enjoy this movie.
2: Okay, going <laughs> so, back to these, Repo Man.
1: Yeah, go do ahead, you guys
2: sure. know the iconic ending line that Emilio says to the girl? It's I think the last line of the movie.
1: No, I don't remember. School us.
2: No, all right. So he's getting into the UFO, and she goes, "Wait, what about our relationship?" And he turns the relationship. Fuck that, Emilio. (laughs) And the car goes rising up with that great ending soundtrack.
1: Oh, uh, spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, look.
0: If you haven't watched (laughs) *Grease*, here. (laughs) <laughs> angry fans gonna be blowing up your twitter
2: yeah you know, oh, that that's in- album back here i'm gonna date myself because i had the vinyl that soundtrack and it was one of my favorite and i tried to find it on spotify and it is unavailable some people put together a playlist that kind of gets it mm-hmm. but it's not All speaking
1: right, of angry like- fans that could be like a whole new web portal for people who want to make extra money
2: Oh, wait, wait. Who, who produced, who financed that movie?
0: Oh,
1: I definitely am not going to know that one. Yeah, me either.
2: I just forgot his name. Michael Nesmith from
1: The Monkey. Oh, yeah. Okay. Really? That makes yep. total sense. Yep. Does it make total sense?
2: Yeah, he also financed Head, the Jack Nicholson director. Well, movie. I knew
1: that one. Yeah.
0: Well, so I guess it does make sense now that you think Say about it? how weird they both are. Did you ever see Head? <laughs> Of course I saw head. Okay. I, I'll be clear though. I did not see head until watching the unauthorized biography about the monkeys. And then I was like, Oh, this movie looks wacky. I have
1: to see it. Yeah. <laughs> it's compart. It's compatriot is a film called Skidoo. Have you ever seen that? Oh, no. Okay. Jackie Gleason drops acid. Mel G- Brook or, um, Jackie, oh like, Jackie
0: actual Jackie Gleason Actually, or actual playing?
1: Jackie Gleason and then oh god Mark's brothers uh, head Mark's brother uh, Groucho? Groucho plays God in the movie that I can I can get behind <laughs> Skidoo. you got to check it out it's like one of those uh, 70s films that was like The Magic Christian. It came out right in like 1970 or 1971 and it's just insane. It's like madcap comedy meets hippie infiltration of some of our our sacrosanct heroes like uh, uh, Groucho Marx and Jackie Gleason. Um, My parents took me to see that high on weed when I was 12. Now, did they get you high on weed to see it or did they just take you and you got high before seeing it? Which, Which... of course, I don't recommend that because it leads to jalapeno abuse later. Yeah. <laughs> just stop jalapeno abuse. Hashtag stop jalapeno abuse. <laughs> We're going to put that as part of the byline for the show today. Is stop jalapeno, stop abuse. jalapeno
0: abuse. Just watch it trend across. Some people are going to just start hashtagging it. This is what I love when people just start like hijacking the hashtag, not knowing where or why. And they're just taking it. It's like, yeah, stop jalapeno abuse. Save the children. <laughs>
2: Well, is there anything we haven't covered that should
0: be brought up? Nothing that matters.
1: <laughs> what so, have we
0: covered? One, jalapeno abuse, Nick Cage over and over again, Repo
1: Man, uh,
0: punk you know, rock, you know, anti
1: Semitism, Anti-Semitism, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, all, all together.
2: I do believe that, like, for all three of us, Our challenge is to take our personal tragedies and grotesque elements that we've experienced and find the beauty in them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It ain't easy, but it's, I think, necessary.
2: Yeah. We have some great examples in the world who show us that it can be done.
0: And you're thinking Nick Cage off the top of your head?
2: Absolutely. Fuck yes. (laughs) Mr. Cage, I salute you. (laughs)
1: Yes. Oh, oh my God. yes. Well, Douglas, Doug. Recording stopped.